Welcome to Life in the Valley, the podcast of the people at Summit Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We gather each week in the heart of St. Paul on historic Summit Avenue, where our mission is to create rhythm, opportunity, and location where people like you can have life-changing experiences with God. Our podcast is one of those locations. As followers of Christ, we are doing our best to be on mission, disciple others, deliver hope, and champion this city. At any point in your journey with us today, if you want to take a next step or you just want to stay in the loop with everything going on at Summit, just grab your phone and simply text the phrase, be known, all one word, be known to the number 651-360-2908. We will send you a short form that makes it super easy for you to complete. There's always new opportunities to mention and new ways that you can get involved. One of the rhythms that is important to following Jesus and important to us at Summit is studying scripture. As we study the Bible, we can have one, hope, two, find guidance, three, be corrected, and four, receive truth into our lives. Listen in and lean in with us wherever you are, open up God's word, and hear this week's message. Uh, Hey, in case case, uh, you're wondering who this guy is, Pastor Brandon said, my name is Chad. Uh, and it is a it is true joy for me to be back with you. A couple weeks ago, I was here uh, for the first time. Uh, Pastor Eric and I go back a few years, and he just said he's going to be on tour, and asked if I would uh, if I would be here to drop in, and I was excited to say yes. And it truly is a joy to be here. You guys are an incredible group of people, and it's uh, it's been really fun to get to know the handful of you that I've got to know over the last couple of weeks. So thanks for letting me ha- come back. I don't I don't know if you had much of a say in it, but. I appreciate the warm welcome. Anyway, well, so I'm, I'm kind of curious. When I, it truly is a joy. It's, I'm, I use that word on purpose. It's a joy for me to be here. And I wonder, like, what what do you think of when you think of the word joy? Now, Pastor Eric's been talking about the the letter of joy, the epistle, if you want to use that really fancy churchy word, but the 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 letter of joy in the letter of Philippians. So he's been talking about joy over the last couple of weeks. So I'm curious, like, what do you think of when you think of joy? Maybe, maybe you think of the Christmas holiday season, right? And the, and the music that comes along with it, you know, joy to the world. Don't worry, I won't sing because there'll be no joy in that for sure for you. Or maybe joyful, joyful, we adore. Maybe it's Christmas season that brings like a, a, a reminder of joy to your life. Or maybe, maybe for you it's that, that precious little baby you know, the one with the cute face that you hold, and it's so, and we all just go, ah, until the screaming starts. The screaming always starts. Sometimes it's the child. <laughs> That's true. Or maybe, maybe, maybe you get joy over the perfect pour over. You know who you are. The coffee connoisseurs in the room where the bean is roasted to perfection, and I don't, I don't know why pouring it over something is supposed to make it better, but apparently it does. I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe the pour over brings you joy. Or maybe, maybe you're like Marie Kondo. Anybody know who Marie Kondo is? And there is, you find joy in the tidiness. I don't know if you, I don't know, if you know this or not, but she kind of dropped the joy in the tidiness thing after she had her second child. <laughs> There's like, I mean, there, in my house, I don't know about you, I have four children that still live in my home. I have six total uh, so four that are still in the home, and it's not really the joy of tidiness, it's more of like the exhaustion of tidiness 
of going around and cleaning all of it up. And then, and then right after the exhaustion is the frustration of tidiness because all those little joy suckers come running right behind and just destroy everything. Kids are not joy suckers. No, they're not joy suckers. They're amazing. No, seriously. But maybe, maybe, maybe actually, I, this is what Marie Kondo says about joy. Here, here's what she says. Uh, she says that joy, she defines it like this, a little thrill as if the cells in your body are rising. I mean, I... I don't know about you, but that sounds exciting. That sounds really great to have the cells in my body rising because of the tidiness around my house. But let's stay with Marie for a little bit. Because like I said, she's on her third child now, and that joy of tidiness, that went away. But, but the joyful living stayed. And so she says that our goal should be this. Our goal should be to spark joy every day and lead a joyful life. That's what Marie says. We were supposed to spark joy every day and lead a joyful life. Here's, here's my question. Is that, is that true? Like the number of times that you can manufacture joy in your life, that somehow you spark joy, was that true that you're going to automatically live a joyful life because you can somehow spark the cells rising within you? I don't know. I mean, listening to Pastor Eric over the last couple of weeks talk about what biblical joy comes in, it really feels like joy is a whole lot more than an emotional response or something that's dictated by the surroundings or something that happens to us. But it's, I mean, to be a citizen of joy means that we belong to joy. And biblical joy seems a whole lot more resilient than requiring me to spark something that makes my life a little better. Yeah? I mean, joy... Pastor Eric talked, two weeks ago, he talked about the eight marvels of the Christian life, saying that there is joy in the tension, eight marvels of the Christian life. Then last week, he talked about the model of the Christian life, joy in serving. And if you missed either one of those, I want to encourage you to head over to the, the podcast, Life in a Valley. That one's pretty much up to date week after week, or, or if, you're, if you're all right being a little way, a week behind, you can head over to the YouTube channel. Uh, which is Summit Church MN, I encourage you to go back and listen to those. To talk, as he kind of shows what it means to live into the tension and have joy in the tension and have the, the model of serving to find joy in the service. But how do we, how do we get that joy? Well, that's, that's what I want to bring us to in week three of being a citizen of joy, finding, fi- finding a way to grab that joy. I mean, anybody interested in that? Like, you want to learn, like, all right, how, I know what I'm supposed to do, that I'm supposed to have it in the tension, and I know that I'm supposed to serve, and that, that's a part of being the joy, but how do I, how do I grab onto, how do I, how do I get that joy? Sound, sound like it's worth our time of gathering together, seeing where, uh, where we want to, we want to head with this? Awesome. Um, All right, so biblical joy, like I said, is much more, is much more than than something that we, that we do or we spark. As a matter of fact, as we read in this, we're going to be diving into Philippians 3 today. And as we dive in, Paul is actually going to tell us that we will find joy, we will actually have joy through losing something. That there's something that we need to let go of, that we need to lose, that we need to walk past of in, in order for us to actually become citizens of joy. So so what is that something? Or maybe it's like Yoda, right? This is maybe something Yoda would say. He would, he would say, 
something like, um, lose something you must for complete your joy to be. I mean, he's like a wise sage, and if my voice was better, that would have probably sounded better. So sorry, you just have to bear with it. That's just, that's just the way it is today. But, I, but So what is the something that we're supposed to lose in order for us to become citizens of joy? Well, that's what I hope for us to uncover today as we go through Philippians 3. I'm going to be, most of the uh, verses will be up on the screen if you want to follow along on the screen. Or you can use your personal flat screen or your own Bible as you follow along. The translation that I'm using today is the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB. Just happens to be one of the ones I like to use. So it might read a little bit different than the one that's in, uh, in, your, in the palm of your hand. Or if you want to follow along with the same one, that's where it is. So we're going to move into from, Paul is expanding on the, the model of the Christian life. And we are moving into the motion of the Christian life in a Philippians 3. And you're going to remember that Paul is sitting in prison when he's writing this. Right? Uh, he, is, he is in prison. And here's, this is why I admire Paul so much. This is a guy that wastes absolutely nothing for the gospel. He is, he is in prison and he is winning over the guards for the cause of Christ. That's incredible. And if that wasn't incredible enough, he's, he's writing correction letters to the, letter, to the churches in, in the area, in the region around him. If that wasn't enough, he's encouraging leaders of the church. He's, in, he's, ad, he's admonishing others and he's, a, he's encouraging people to, to continue to walk into their Christian faith. All of this while he's living in prison and he's entertaining guests. He's got like visitors coming to see him and provide for his needs. It's absolutely incredible what Paul does. And that's, that's what's happening. So we're going to continue this conversation about joy in Philippians 3 in 1 to 3. Paul says this, in addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I want you to hold on to that phrase, rejoice in the Lord, just for a little bit. We're going to come back to it at the end of the message. But I just want you to kind of capture that idea Right now, all right, to write you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision. Eric, uh, Pastor Eric gave me a hard time. He's like, you have to talk about circumcision. That's what he told me when I was, thanks, Pastor Eric. All right, here we go. Uh, for we are the circumcisions, the one who worship by the spirit of God, who boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. Paul is about to help the Philippian church, the people of Philippi. He's about to help them make a substantial shift in the way that they see themselves and the way that they see the world around them. But before he does that, he wants to kind of preemptively talk about something that's going to be a problem for the Philippian church. So many scholars don't believe it's become an issue yet for the people in Philippi, but it's coming. Paul, Paul knows, he's a good leader. He knows this. He, good leaders have this ability to see a problem coming before the problem arises so that they can address it before they need to address it. And it's, a, it's like a preemptive strike. And that's what Paul's doing as he opens this portion of the chapter is he's, he's setting the stage so that the people of Philippi don't struggle with something that's happened to all of the other churches or many of the other churches in the region. So I don't know, I'm sure that many of you know this, but much of the ancient church, the early church, started in, in the dispersed Jewish communities around the region. The diaspora, if you want to use the fancy theological term, but it's this, 
term of dispersed Jews that, that lived all throughout the region, and they had synagogues in many of these cities. And a lot of the initial church was started in those synagogues. Well, what happened was quickly those who had always followed the Jewish faith had started to say that it wasn't just Christ alone, but it was Christ plus all of the religious laws that came with being a Jew. They also had to follow the laws of Moses in the process. And Paul knew this was going to come. Why? Because it had happened across the entire region. And so he wants to prepare the people of Philippi to say, man, don't, you don't have to listen to those people. See, it's interesting that, that the ancient Jewish people used to call Gentile believers or non-believers just the Gentile, the pagan community. They would call them dogs. So Paul is using their own language against them. He's like, listen. Don't let them convince you you're a dog because you didn't follow the laws of Moses. No, matter of fact, they're the ones that are the dog because they're the ones depending upon their flesh. What he's telling them, he said, you don't have to, don't let them convince you that your flesh saves you. Don't let them convince you that your flesh saves you. Paul's saying you don't need to do it. You don't need to live under that law. You don't need to try to put your faith in the flesh because there's no faith to be found in the flesh. And instead, your faith... Your faith is much bigger than that. That's what he's saying to them. And then he doubles down. He's saying there's, there's freedom from the flesh. And then check what he says as he sets out to prove it. In three, this is three, four to six. He's like, although I have, I have reasons in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church. Interesting, that last one, persecuting the church, is, it's like a credit for his zealousness for God, his, his willingness to do anything to serve the Lord. But it's also a debt. And in another, one of his other letters, he calls that out, like he's the least of the apostles because of the way he treated the early church. It's like a credit and a debt. Regarding the righteousness that is the law, blameless. Paul is like setting himself up with a, an incredible pedigree and saying, listen, there's going to be some people, these Judaizers, that's what they're called. They're going to come in and they're going to try to convince you that you need to live a life based on the law of Moses and then just sprinkle some Jesus belief over the top of it. But you better live your life based on the law of Moses. And they're going to try to claim all of this history and lineage and all of that's supposed to impress you. Well, don't let it impress you. See, genealogy was really important to the Jewish people. That's why throughout the Old Testament, what do you see? You see some, some massive chunks of scripture are this one begat that one, and this one gave birth to this one. And, and it's like lists and lists of people. Why? Because they valued your lineage and where you came from. When it came from the, even the Pharisees, it mattered who you learned from. If you learned from a renowned scholar or renowned rabbi, then you, that was counted to you as a credit. Over and over and over again, this, this is how they saw things was lineage mattered. The way you learned mattered. The way you lived your life, he said, I'm righteous, blameless. Well, that's, that's an incredible claim that he's making to the people. So he's saying, listen, no matter who comes behind me and tries to say that they're better than me, boy, they ain't, they ain't got nothing on me. You can have confidence at what I'm teaching because they ain't got nothing on me. But that's not all he's trying to tell them. Paul is setting them up to drop an absolute bombshell on this community. 
Check out what he says next. This is in 7 and 8. But everything that was gained to me, I've considered to be loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is a major bombshell that he's letting go. Like, all of the pedigree, all the things that he should be able to stand on and claim, he's saying they're all absolutely worthless. Think of it in like a credit and debit column. Right? You have all these things that are your credit, are of your credit, and those things that kind of go against you. He's saying, listen, I w- I'm circumcised. That's a credit. I, I, I'm show- I've been showed myself as a member of the Jewish community, credit. On the eighth day, credit. That means his parents were devout followers uh, of, the, of the, the Jewish traditions. And on the eighth day, they brought their son to synagogue for, for the circumcision. That credit. I, I, I'm of the tribe of, I'm of Israel. Like, I'm a person of Israel. I wasn't one of those who decided they wanted to become a part of the Jewish community. No, he was like, I am from the Jewish community. Credit. Not only that, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. This is the second son of Rachel. This is the first tribe, this is the tribe where the first king of Israel came out of. He's saying, listen, my, my heritage goes back to royalty. If anybody has credit in these things, it's a credit, another credit for him. I'm a Hebrew among Hebrews, credit. And then he says, he says, of the law, I'm a Pharisee. Not only that, he was a renowned Pharisee. He was a well, by all accounts, we believe he was a well-known Pharisee. Say, I, I was a Pharisee. I was of the strict sense of the law. And then he, then he doubles down and says that his zeal for, the church, for, for God caused him to persecute the church. This would have been a credit and a debit. And then he says, and then he says, when it comes to my life, the integrity and the character of my life, I am blameless. Credit. All of those credits, he counts as total loss. And let that sink in for just a second. What, what credits do we sometimes lean on that are maybe, maybe we put as more important in our relationship with Jesus? Like what what do we try to count as credit? I mean, when I was a middle school pastor, the most common thing I heard, and it's not the, remember, all that Paul said were, were all good things. These weren't bad things. They're just not a credit in, in light of his relationship with Jesus. But, but when I was a middle school pastor, one of the things that I heard when, when kids would give their testimony over and over and over again was, well, I was raised in a Christian home. That's a good thing to be raised in a Christian home, but sometimes we put our faith in that. We count that as our credit. For, for other times, maybe it's I was water baptized as an infant. I don't know if you know this or not, but Minnesota and the whole area that we live in is largely Catholic and largely Lutheran. And there are many, many who would count that as a credit. And some, there's some that I knew, I, this is true for me, I was raised Catholic, by the way, and partially Catholic, uh, and, uh, and it would have been easy to count that my infant water baptism as a credit to my account. 
Others will say, well, I went through confirmation class. That's a credit. Others would say, uh, well, listen, I, uh, I said a prayer once. That's got to be a credit. Read the Bible. That's a credit. I'm a nice person. That's a credit. I give money. That's a credit. I, I try to do serving. That's a credit. What, what do we try to hold as credit that maybe we forget that there's a relationship piece? And that's what Paul is focusing on. He's saying, listen, all of the things that you might count as credit are nothing in comparison to your relationship with Jesus. He's saying, who I was equals nothing. Who I know equals everything. This is a big adjustment, even for the people in this town of Philippi. About 100 years before Paul shows up in Philippi was when this city was colonized by the Roman people. There's this big civil war that happened, and many of the, of the warriors, listen, Rome was saying, we don't, we don't need a bunch of people that have been battle-hardened coming back to our sensitive city of Rome, our, our philosophers and our thinkers. And so what they could, the infrastructure couldn't handle it. So the, the colony of Philippi was established by many of those who were kind of, after the battle was over, were given land and allowed to to create a family and, and create a life for themselves in this very Roman city. And there was a lot of history and heritage that mattered to those people. Like who they came from, who, who their parents were and their grandparents were over that 100-year period would have been a big deal. And so even for them, this is a bombshell. It is an absolute shift in the way they need to think. But then look what he says next. More than that. I also consider everything to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness on my own from the law. Boy, that's a big shift from what he just said, isn't it? Not having a righteousness on my own from the law but the one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Man, Paul is saying if you want to be a citizen of joy, that something you need to lose is your past. Here's what's incredible about what Paul sets up. He sets us up with all of these credits, all of these good things and arguably one bad thing. But then he doubles down and says, I count everything as loss. The good, the bad, the otherwise, the in-between, all of it is loss. If we can count the credit as loss, we can count the debt as loss. In our relationship with Jesus, who I was equals nothing. Who I know equals everything. I don't know who needs to hear this today. But your past, it doesn't define your future. Who you were, that's not who you are. If you will pursue the knowledge of Jesus and count him as everything, all of your past mistakes, 
car you stole, the person you hurt, the people you robbed, the lies you told, the pain you caused, the mistakes you made, all of it is loss. It doesn't hold a debt over you anymore, not in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. You want to find joy? You want to be a citizen of joy? There is joy in the loss. You get to lose who you were and focus on who you are in Christ. Come on, somebody, man. Come on. That's what the gospel is all about. Man, that is who we are as followers of Jesus. And if you found yourself in this place today and you don't know Jesus yet, man, I am glad that you are here. I think Paul's got something more for you. We're going to keep reading and see what he has because I know, I know that he has more for us. I know that he's got, he's got more for us to do. All right, I don't know what slide I'm on, so I got I to come on off track there. That's what happened right there. All right. Uh, some of you might struggle with all of those things in your past, right? But you don't have to do that anymore. Just like, just like that I was raised in a Christian home isn't a credit. Well, well guess what? I, I, I've been trapped by my addiction for 20 years isn't a debt anymore to your life. J just because you, you, you would say like, look, I, I prayed a prayer once and I, I said yes to Jesus maybe when I was 12 years old and I've walked away for so long. That's not a credit to you. Just, just like... I've made a mess of my life for the, since I was 12 years old all the way to this day. You don't have to live into that debt. You can be set free from all of it because Jesus says you can be set free from it. That, that is the God that we are served. And may, maybe you're saying, but how do I do that? How do I do that? Here's what, here's what he tells you. Three, this is in 10 and 11. My goal is to know him and the power of his, resur his resurrection. The power of his resurrection, when we realize that Jesus is who he says he is, that he truly is the one who was raised from the dead that allows us to live into a new life, man, that, that is what helps change our life. Why? In the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. This is the, being conformed to his death is realizing that I'm dead to the old man, the old self, the old person who I used to be. That is no longer who I am. That is all gone. And I can focus on the resurrection power of Christ and assuming someday that I will reach that place. That's what he says. Assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. To know Jesus intimately, to like fully know him and who he is, to know his resurrection power means to find freedom and joy and purpose and value and worth. Not because of who you were, but because of who he is and who you are in Christ. And you might be saying, well, Pastor Chad, but I still struggle. That sounds great, but man, I still, I still make mistakes. If you knew how imperfect I was, you wouldn't be telling me that I can find joy in loss because I still feel like I'm losing. I feel like I haven't figured it all out yet. Let me, let me show you what Paul says. This is Paul. This is the one who was like saving the guards in prison. Look what Paul says. Not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. 
You see who's taking hold of who right there? Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as the goal of my prize, promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this to you also. No perfection, only progress. There's no perfection. There's only progress. Why? Because he has been taken hold of by Christ. Who's holding who? I, I get this imagery when I was reading this passage. This is the imagery that came to my mind. It was like uh, that, that of a guardian or a parent or a foster parent or a grandparent grabbing a hold of that little three-year-old and holding them by the hand. You can't hold them by the hand. You got to hold them by the wrist. That hand is like, ooh, this is a wiggly thing. You just can't, you can't grab onto that. You hold them by the wrist, right? That's the imagery that I have. And now imagine you're walking out of Walmart into the wild west of the Walmart parking lot. You're going you're gonna to hold on to that child. That's the imagery that I get. The kicking, the screaming, the crying, the dropping to the ground, the squirming to try to get away, the, all the things that come along with that, we, that's us, by the way. A lot of times we're like, this is, what's over here, Lord? You know, like trying to figure out what's next. No, but he's got a hold of us. If you have drawn near enough to Christ for him to grab a hold of you, he grabs a hold of you. And no amount of kicking and screaming and fits throwing a temper tantrum, none of that stuff is going to stop you from being held for his purpose. That's what Paul's talking about. He's like, listen, I'm not perfect either. Not because I've grabbed a hold of him, but because he's grabbed a hold of me, I can have a confidence. That's the imagery. He's holding on. And then he says, he says, but here's what I do. Here's what I do. I do one thing, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Listen, some of us, man, we're still acting like that toddler. Right? That's just a true statement. We've moved close enough to be grabbed the hold of by God, but, man, we are trying to squirm away, trying to get away, trying to go chase the shiny thing out in the parking lot. The problem is if he let go, we'd run into traffic. And the end of that is not going to go well for us. He's saying, that's, but one day, one day, I long to realize that my safety and security is when I'm closest to the Father. And I'm going to reach out and grab a hold of him too. So listen, if, you, if you're brand new to the faith, kicking the tires of Christianity, looking under the hood, seeing how it all works, and you're just not quite sure, but you're here today? Congratulations. Today could be your day. Today could be the day where everything changes and you can finally lay your past down and reach out and let God grab a hold of you. And then there will be a moment. There will be a moment when you will turn around and grab a hold of him because you're going to know that the safest place you can be is in the loving arms of the Father. 
Man, that, that is what Paul is encouraging us to be citizens of joy in. That he, he has placed a heavenly call on your life in what? The promised presence of God. That's where he's calling you back to, into his presence. Lose your past. Grab onto the presence of God in the present. Lose your past. Grab onto the presence of God in the present. It is in the presence of God that we find joy. Do you realize that this is the letter of joy, and the third chapter of the letter of joy does not contain the word joy in it at all? The word, the Greek word is chara or kara. Nobody speaks Koine Greek, so you can't really judge me how I say it. I'm just saying. Chara. It's not found in the third chapter, but charos is. Charos is the expression of joy. Remember that verse, that little tag I told you to hold on to from the first part of three? That's where you find the word charos. It's called rejoice. There's joy in the second chapter. There's joy in the first verse of the fourth chapter. The closest we get to is in rejoice in the third, and that's what it means. It says this in 3.1, in addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Find your joy in the presence of God. That is the space, that not your religious activities, not the things that you've done back in your life, not the things that you're doing today. Find your joy in the presence of God. Let go of your past because your past is trying to rob you of your joy. Your past is trying to tell, convince you that you're not good enough to be in the presence of God. But if you know Jesus, he has paid that debt. He has taken care of all of that for you so that you can focus on being in joy in the presence of God. That is who we're created to be in Christ. Come on, man. Whew. I love it. And then Paul closes with this, Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a savior from there. Who dwells in heaven? The Lord does. We are citizens. We're not waiting for a citizenship to happen in heaven. Y'all, you are already citizens of heaven. Right now. If you know Jesus, and I don't mean know about Jesus, I don't mean being a fan of Jesus, I mean if you know Jesus, you are a citizen of heaven. And the world around us, that's going to be different. It's going to be a little difficult to live in. There's going to be some elements of, of our lives here that are going to be a little bit hard. That was true in Philippi, and it's true in St. Paul. Paul is saying, your, your citizenship, though, where you reside, don't worry about the city you call home. Your citizenship is in heaven. It's in the presence of the one who's promised you his presence. Man, we, we can find a tremendous amount of joy in knowing that God goes before us that he is with us, and he's drawn us in to his presence. We are citizens. We are citizens of heaven.
There's some, there's some people in our community, in this community, whether, whether you live in Rosemount, whether you live in Egan, whether you live in Invergrove Heights, or you're living in St. Paul or Minneapolis, there are people around you who are trapped by their past. And they don't know that they can be set free from it. But you, Summit, you have a message of joy, a message of hope in Christ that can allow them to be set free from their past, to lose their past and find joy in the presence of God. You, we have an opportunity to step in and help somebody's life be changed forever, just like many of your lives have been changed forever. We don't want to negate it, so what do we do? What do we do? How do we help? How do we ourselves become citizens of joy? How do we lose our past? How do we let somebody else lose their past? Listen, if, like I said, if you're in here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, man, today, today is the day you're going to be set free. I believe it. In a little, a little while, I'm going to invite some of the prayer warriors, some of the prayer team members to come forward to receive you in prayer. And may, maybe it'll be because, man, you, this is the first time you've heard that you can let go of your past. This is the first time in your life you've realized that you don't have to be a victim to who you used to be because Christ will set you free. Well, I know that they would be eager to pray over you and pray with you about what it would look like to take that step of saying yes to Jesus for the first time ever. That they'll walk with you in that. Maybe, maybe you've been a Christian for a little while, but your past has come back to haunt you. I mean, that's a true story, right? Like sometimes our past decisions do affect us in our present, but they don't have to affect us in our eternity. And you need, you need to be set free. You're allowing the bondage of your past to weigh you down, and you need to know that God has broke the chains and set you free. So after service, I'm going to ask you to come forward too. We're going to keep, keep the piano maybe playing in the background behind us, or we'll put some music on in the back or something to keep the, keep the room filled and for many of you want to stay and just lift a hand towards those that come forward, not trying to figure out why they went forward. No, that's not your job. Your job is merely to pray over them too. Maybe you extend a hand for them. Maybe you offer a prayer in the spirit for them, asking the Lord to change their life and let them be set free. So if that's you, if you, if you find yourself struggling with your past and you need to be set free, I want to invite you forward in a little bit too. And for the rest of you, Summit, Chances are this morning there is a person or a family or a neighbor or a coworker or a barista at Starbucks, somebody that has come to your mind as we were talking about people that need to be let that need to let go of their past. Can you see their faces in your mind? Can you see their names? I want you to write their names down right now. Go ahead, take out your personal flat screen, get a piece of paper, whatever. I want you to take a moment and write down the names of the people that God brought to your mind right now that need to be set free from their past. My challenge to you is to commit to praying for them multiple times a day. Put it on a post-it note, 
put it somewhere in front of you where you're going to see it over and over and over again to remind you to pray over them. And then I'm going to ask you to be bold and invite them to sit with you, to be the you next to you over the next two weeks as, as Pastor Eric and the crew here, as this incredible team, as they put on the, the, the kids thing and, and, and as Pastor Eric does the Christmas Eve services and bring them with you so they can learn what it means to be a citizen of joy. And if they say no, that's all right. I bet they say yes to free coffee. I bet they say yes to a free meal. Take them out to coffee. Take them out to dinner or lunch or breakfast and be willing to enter into that scary space of talking about the joy that you have in Christ. Not from a condemnation standpoint, not from a, hey, if, turn and burn. If you don't do this, you need some fire insurance. No, not from that standpoint at all. No, from a place of love and compassion and care. So write their names down, commit to praying for them, and invite them to join you. All right, prayer team, I'm going to invite you forward now. And uh, So as they make their way forward, if you... If you are just in need, you guys come all the way up. That's totally fine. I know Pastor Eric's like, no, oh, you need to you look like let them know that you are a kind face, ready to receive them in prayer. Pastor Eric will be mad at me for this later. That's all right. But I want I want you to know that there are people here that are praying for you. This is who they look like. And they are here for you. So as we close in prayer. Feel free to make your way forward. If you're ready to say yes to Jesus for the first time, if you're ready to let the bondage of your past be left in your past and you want to focus on that relationship with Jesus, make your way forward. I'm going to pray and then the rest of y'all have a great, a great Sunday. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you are the joy of every occasion. It is in your presence that we experience true joy, a resilient joy that goes well beyond our circumstances and our hang-ups and our habits and all the things. And it breaks through our past. Your presence breaks through our past. And we get to focus our attention on you. So, Lord, will you just turn our hearts to you so that we can be worshipers in the spirit of joy, in the spirit of the Holy Spirit. Focus our attention on you as we love others this week. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Hey, go in peace and be blessed. Have a great week, Summit. To help you apply the truth found in Scripture, we always like to ask three questions. What did you learn about God? What did you learn about yourself? How are you going to apply what the Holy Spirit is speaking through Scripture to your life? We hope that helps bring clarity for you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Life in the Valley, the podcast of the people of Summit Church. Join us in person sometime as we gather as a church on Summit Avenue, or join us here at our podcast again, or virtually at our online encounter each week. Before you go, though, Pastor Eric is going to give you a special invitation and share just part of his heart for you, the culture, and a little bit about the people of Summit Church. Hey, Pastor Eric Samuel Tim here. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Let me first say, our city of St. Paul is absolutely amazing. 
I encourage you to explore all the history it has to offer. And you need to know this, Summit Church has been a part of that history, along with so many amazing churches. Speaking specifically about the people of Summit, well, we've been gathering here since about 1932. And my hope that this would not just be a rich history, but it would be our forward legacy. History is a thing of the past, but legacy makes way for the future. So where are we going? That's a good question. Our vision is simple, to see all people of St. Paul and beyond living as disciples of Christ, people full of hope, fully known, and actively loving one another, living a spirit-led life. Our mission is also simple, to provide rhythm, location, and opportunity where you can have a life-changing experience with God. Journey within the diversity to do these three things, become disciples of Jesus, to deliver hope, and to champion this city. That is where we are going. That is what we're doing. So where are you going? Maybe that's a good question for you. What are your next steps? I would encourage you to join one of our monthly expeditions. The expedition is a simple experience where you can find out more about who you are in Christ, who Summit Church is, what are we doing around here, and how you can play a part. It's less than a two-hour commitment for your whole month. We also feed you some amazing food and even provide childcare. So the question is, where will we go? Maybe we're on a journey following Jesus together. And I got a hunch, we just might not be us without you. We'll see you at the summit where we prepare for life in the valley. Thank you.